is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the program. Coming up, we hear an announcement in regards to the feral horses in the Kosciuszko National Park. Also, Indigenous Nations Group, they're challenging the Environment Minister, Tanya Plibersek, Plibersek's accreditation of the Fractured Rock Water Resource Plan in federal court. My nation, the Tati Tati people, um, we have been totally ignored and we've been excluded. We haven't been consulted. We haven't been involved in that water resource plan for that area, Fractured Rock. Frankly, we've, we've just had enough. And we also hear New South Wales has thrown its support behind an unprecedented national campaign against anti-farming policies set up by the National Farmers Federation. So all that and a whole lot more coming up. But first, let's turn our attention to the horses in the Kosciuszko National Park because aerial shooting of feral horses will resume in the Kosciuszko National Park with the New South Wales Environment Minister Penny Sharp declaring the move essential for protecting the park's threatened wildlife and ecosystems. Here's uh, a bit of the announcement that she made just a short time ago. The reality is that their population over the last decade or so has exploded. There are too many horses in the park. As a result of that, we need to bring the numbers down. So the consultation was about allowing aerial shooting. Um, It went out to consultation. We received over 11,000 submissions in relation to this. This is an issue that people care deeply about. I can report that around... Uh, Of those that address the aerial shooting um, issue, 82% of them support us adding this as a control method. 18% of the other submissions um, did not support that. And they didn't support it for a range of reasons. They supported it on some on animal welfare issues. They don't really want to see any horse killed. And they'd like to see us do everything we can through non-lethal means to do that. Some um, have real concerns around the way that we count and whether the numbers are correct. We actually sat down with some of the advocates who looked at different um, counting methods during uh, this process and we had their suggestions we had independently reviewed by academics from two different universities, the CSIRO and uh, the Queensland Bureau of Statistics. So we have looked at this very carefully. Um, Some of the suggestions around how we can improve it are things that we would look like in the future, but I just want to be clear, um, the count as it is, is the best available. There is a range. Um, whether it's 14,000 or whether it's 20,000, um, 14,000 is too many and we need to get down to 3,000 if we're to seriously manage the horses in the park. The second thing that people raised, of course, is the animal welfare issues. Animal welfare is the number one issue that we're talking about here. It's the animal welfare of threatened species that are literally on the brink of extinction as a result of a number of things, but the impact of horses is driving them faster to extinction. But the second part of it is that horses are beautiful creatures that people love. I completely understand that. It brings me no pleasure to stand here and say that we are going to have to cull more of them. But the point here is that we do have to do this, and if we're going to do it, we need to do it in the most humane way. New South Wales Environment Minister Penny Sharp a short time ago. Now, the Invasive Species Council says we must take action. The horses pose an extinction risk to native species, including the critically endangered stocky galaxia fish and the southern corroboree frog. Richard Swain is the Invasive Species Council Indigenous Ambassador. He's welcomed the news that aerial shooting will resume. Oh, it's been a long time coming. The 
you know, for, for some cheap politicking and some emotional human-centric arguments, the, you know, the species that evolved up there have been under constant harassment for, for 23 years now, and, and it's time that we, we did something right for, for the country up there and we, we did look after the species that evolved there. And aerial shooting to start when, do we know? Uh, I, pretty soon, I think. And I'm um, hopeful it'll make a an impact. Uh, a lot of people carry on about the numbers. It's not a. It's about impact. It's about what's happening with the species up there. And hopefully it starts soon. And hopefully it's done well. And and we can move on with you know with a much healthier environment up there. Looking forward. And getting the numbers like down substantially, like uh, to to like a tenth of what they are, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to strive for. Uh, zero horses, to be honest, because you know the mountains didn't evolve with any hard-hoofed animals, and well, Australia didn't. But you now, for a million years, the biggest grazer of the mountains was insects, and that was replaced in recent history by hard-hoofed animals. And, and we, we just it, the mountains can't handle it; it didn't evolve to to accept that type of punishment. And the sort of species we're talking about that are a threat. Uh, well, there's 30 species. There's plants and animals, and a lot of them are small and not as a romantic as a horse, but but they exist nowhere else on in, in the, on the planet. And so they they deserve our, our respect and they deserve to be to be cared for. As the debate really centred around, you know, people, you know, horse lovers versus people that are worried about the 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 habitat in the in, in the Alps. I mean, is it sort of boiled down to that? It has been, and it has been that for years. It's unfortunately, horses are romantic, and they're, they're you know they're a beautiful animal, but they're, they're just not meant to be there. And it's that that myth of the man from Snowy River. And today's decision is finally where the politicians have put aside that and actually made a decision on what the soil, the water, and the species that evolved up there would love love to have made many years ago. They need to be cared for. And, and this is what the scientists have been calling for, so a win for science. Win for science and a win for common sense. I mean, I'm not an aerial culling advocate, but I'm an advocate for following the best science and listening to the ethics committees and the RSPCA and all of those people. And if they believe this is the most humane and effective method, then we should be using it. And, and we should be listening to the Indigenous voices too. Yeah, well, they... Yeah, like I said, that country didn't evolve with any hard-hooked animals. That above-the-tree-line country is very sacred country and it should never have been grazed. Richard Swain is a local Snowy River tour guide. He's also founder of the Reclaim Cozzy campaign to protect the mountains and he's also the Invasive Species Council's Indigenous Ambassador. It's 12 past 12. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. The Environmental Defenders Office on behalf of the Murray Lower Darling River Indigenous Nations is challenging the Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek's accreditation of the Fractured Rock Water Resource Plan in federal court. They're uh, looking to find the accreditation invalid. And uh, the uh, Indigenous Nations group argues that the consultation requirements uh, with the First First Nations rights holders were not met, including a complete failure to consult with the Tati Tati Nation. 
They say several legal errors followed as a result and that the plan does not satisfy requirements to identify traditional owners' water management objectives. As a result, Brendan Kennedy, the Vice President of the Indigenous Nations Group, says the water resource plan is not compliant with the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. My nation, the Taditadi people, um, we have been totally ignored and we've been excluded. We haven't been consulted. We haven't been involved in that water resource plan for that area, Fractured Rock. Frankly, we've we just had enough uh, First Nations people within the Murray Island Basin and uh, there's over 44 nations within the Murray Island Basin um, and over 400 nations across this continent. But um, around the water, yeah, we're constantly dispossessed of our water and you know, we've been totally ignored. And the, the Murray Island Basin plan quite clearly states uh, there has to be um, at least a, you know, a level of Inclusion, engagement, consultation, regard for First Nation people when when uh, states uh, um, are uh, creating these water resource plans, developing water resource plans, and it's clear that it hasn't happened um, in this this case. So we have a we have a strong legal foundation for for this legal challenge um, against the federal minister. Now, the Environmental Defenders Office, I gather, is taking up the case on your behalf. How how important is the the water uh, and and the the stories about the water and the water itself to your people? Oh, I mean, I mean, it's it's quite obvious. You know, most all cultures rely on water. All living beings rely on water. And First Nations peoples, our cultures, we've been here for. The dates at the moment are sitting at 120,000 years uh, in southeast South um, Australia. So, you know, our culture is water. We are water-based culture, as most cultures are. Uh, we are more um, re- reliant on and the Milu, the Murray River, and its waterways and lakes and streams uh, for our culture. It, it supports it. Well, our, our cultural economy is is. It depends upon um, our water, our cultural water, our water within our country. So what we have is our cultural landscape, our waterways are being killed and, and that's killing our people and our culture. So are you wanting a, a certain amount of water put aside for First Nations people or are you asking for compensation? What are you asking for? Well, well everything, everything, all of the above. I mean, at the moment, First Nations people within the Murray Island Basin including our nation and all nations within Victoria and New South Wales um, currently own 0.02% of the water, the allocation of water, which is an absolute international disgrace. It's a national disgrace. It's an international disgrace. Um, and so the governments and, the, and all the water authorities and the water corporations and the water ministers, they don't want First Nation people to be in the water space. That's quite obvious. So, but yeah, there are mep- there are representatives there are representatives of First Nations people on the Murray Darling Basin Authority. Well, I'm not going to talk about that. I mean, that's we're talking about the water minister here in the whole Murray Darling Basin, uh, and there's a lot of water. So the Murray Darling Basin is an authority. Um, there's a First Nation person sitting on that, but that still doesn't change the fact that um, we have zero point two percent of the water point two point zero. Two percent uh, water ownership for First Nations people—that that's diabolical. That's what's killing our people. 
And so that has to change. That has to. There needs to be uh, uh, water justice. Uh, there needs to be equity. There needs to be leadership has to be afforded to First Nations people in the water space. So if the authorities, and you're saying the minister is not listening to First Nations people in this space in, in regard to, to, to your case, who's getting the benefit of, of the water? Who, who are they listening to? Oh, they're listening to the big water corporations, uh, the, big, the big irrigators, the cotton, the cotton industry, people who have the money to, to, to buy the water, to control and manipulate and uh, have a, a monopolise the water market. Certainly, the bigger the bigger end of town, who have the capacity of to appoint uh, and lobby people within the space to become, you know, the water ministers, uh, water authorities, corporations, and the minister is just appeasing the commercial commercialisation of water, um, as they've just turned water into into commodity, and so. Um, it's big business in the water market. It's worth billions and billions of dollars. And yet the minister is saying she's prepared to buy back water from some of those licences and put them into the environment and give them back to First Nations people, but you're not seeing any evidence of that yet. Uh, the, the, she's not saying give that back to First Nations people. Uh, it's not The minister has not showing any indication. It's just the status quo. It's business as usual. And that's what these governments are doing, is just continue to, to hold up the water, store the water, allocate the water out, commercialise the water out to industries and kill our environment, kill our, kill our people, our cultural economy and our cultural landscape. That's what's going on. Brendan Kennedy is a vice chair of the Murray Lower Darling River Indigenous Nations. Now, a spokesperson from Tanya Plibersek's office says the department understands that the Indigenous Nations Group has filed and served an application for a judicial review in the federal court in relation to the accreditation of the New South Wales Fractured Rock Water Resource Plan. Uh, the Commonwealth and Murray-Darling Basin Authority, the State of New South Wales are all named as respondents and uh, uh, the uh, minister says, or the federal minister says, as this matter is before the federal court, it would not be appropriate to comment further on the matter. And uh, the same uh, comment's been made by the uh, spokesperson for the New South Wales Water Minister, Rose Jackson. She says it would not be appropriate to comment uh, further as it's before the federal court. It's coming up to 20 minutes past 12 here on the country. I'm getting quite a few texts on the uh, uh, issue of uh, the horses in the National Park. Um, someone's texted in to say uh, that uh, the Minister gave a good summation of what needs to be got done regarding feral horses. The Minister's actually done something that's been avoided by the past governments for far too long, says Graham. Uh, someone else saying, so good to hear that uh, sense and science have prevailed in regards to the aerial culling of feral horses in Kosciuszko. Dave in Trundle says, zero horses in the snowy equals zero damage to the environment. We introduced in colonial times. We need to remove them. Simple, says uh, Dave. And um, yeah, there's a whole bunch more texts coming through as well on the issue. It's 20 minutes past 12. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Let's turn to the rainfall now because in drought-affected areas in the north of the state there's finally been some rain around the New England northwest. The falls have been patchy with much of the rain in the ranges and also east of the region while further west areas like Narrabri, Moree and Walgett missed out again 
at Bendemeer, wool producer and cattle producer Rachel Rummery was one of the lucky ones catching a little over 60 millimetres in the gauge. She told Lara Webster she couldn't have been happier to hear the uh, rain on the roof last night. Well, it was quite surprising, Lara. We haven't been to uh, bed with the sound of rain on the roof for uh, quite a long time now. How long, Rachel, since you last had a, a good fall of rain? Uh, a really good fall of rain. I think probably it would be since the other side of winter, I reckon, months. And tell me, what did you manage to catch in your gauges? Well, we've been very lucky. We've got 63 mils here at our farm this morning. Lara, but I understand it's not as widespread as I'd hoped, I guess. So for anyone who didn't get that sort of rain, I'm not boasting or whatever, but we, we did do very well. Yeah, look, absolutely. We know it's been patchy, particularly in the northwest of our region as well. But nevertheless, Rachel, you have been one of the lucky ones. I mean, what sort of difference will this fall of rain make to, to your stock and your operation? Oh, Lara, look, it's nearly as big as saying life and death. We've just finished lambing, so we're um, moving towards marking the lambs, and we were looking at them yesterday and going... Yeah, they're not very big lambs. We've now got them on the ground, but we need to start feeding the ewes again. We fed them over the winter time, but we knock off feeding during lambing itself, but we'll be back feeding. Yeah, so so from a sheep point of view, it, this is just life-saving. We've actually reduced our cattle numbers quite significantly over the winter, uh, but the ones we do have here, which have basically been standing around doing nothing because they're not worth selling almost at the moment. Hopefully that will give the market a bit of a boost and we can move them off or they can hang around now and actually go forward a bit on the, the green feed this will produce. Well, as you say, about a month's relief, hopefully, from feeding. I mean, what sort of follow-up would you like to, to see if you could put an order in? Uh, I mean, what would you like to see to follow this rain? Uh, another 20 mils in a week. And then probably an inch every week till Christmas time. Well, ask Santa. Is that being a bit greedy, do you think? <laughs> and hopefully it does move out further to the west and also to the east, you know, to some degree. I hope this is falling over the fire grounds. Bendemeer farmer and agronomist Rachel Rummery speaking there to Lara Webster. As we mentioned before, the northwest of the region missed out with barely a drop. Narrabri Grain Grower and Lower Namoy Cotton Growers Association President Robert Everly says, while disappointing, seeing rain elsewhere does give him hope. We've largely missed out. Um, there's a, certainly a few places further to the southeast. I see on the automatic weather stations this morning that had... Uh, Closer to uh, you know 13 mils of rain, but you might as well say uh, anywhere uh, as you move north of there, we've had virtually nothing. So certainly no useful rain. It's probably been more of a hassle uh, slowing down the harvest operation for uh, for a few hours this morning as things dry out. Certainly back to winter this morning, it's uh, it's very cool uh, and almost snow clouds on the horizon. Look, obviously, as you say, a lot of the Northwest hasn't received much, really barely a drop. I mean, how is it to see, you know, when you wake up and you hear of rainfall and some good falls in other parts of the region to, to not see that in your own neck of the woods? It's certainly disappointing. I, I guess we're at the stage here now uh, in the Northwest where we're, we're 
finishing up harvest and, and it's been almost a dream run there. We haven't had any uh, interruptions. It hasn't been a particularly good harvest, but it's been an easy one and, and we're almost finished. So I guess for the sake of uh, having uh, rain interfere with that, it's probably best if it if it didn't rain, which is which is what's happened. Um, but I think uh, in a week's time, uh, certainly the dry land cotton window and, and people that want to plant uh, sorghum, um, they're going to need a significant fall of rain. So, you know, most of the fallows have good subsoil moisture, but, uh, you know, we're really going to need, you know, 40 or 50 mils of rain to, to work that top 30 centimetres uh, and allow planting to happen. And we're, we're, you know, we're not panicking yet, but we're certainly uh, getting closer to the uh, end of uh, the time that, that, or, you know, too late to plant those crops. So we really want that rain in the next, uh, you know, few weeks uh, to allow planting on time. We've had a particularly dry uh, six months, seven months here now, um, you know, you know driest on record for many people. So that that, uh, that certainly does shatter the confidence a little bit. But but this area, even if we are in a, uh, an El Nino, uh, summer rainfall can often be quite uh, quite reasonable and quite, quite average or even above average on, on occasions. Narrabai Grain Grower and uh, Lower Nemoy Cotton Growers Association President Robert, Robert Everly speaking there to Lara Webster. Well, the rain has uh, also brought some welcome relief for the mid-north coast where fires have burned through more than 32,000 hectares. Reporter Charles Rushworth spoke to Comboin farmer Peter Roberts about the rain over the last 24 hours. Last night from 7 till 7 this morning, I had a 78, and prior to that I'd had 33, so I'd had 111. My neighbour, who's only a couple of hundred, or half a kilometre away, and he's at the top of the Lansdowne Valley, He'd had nearly 40 more than I'd had, so I think he would have had it around 150 to this point. So, yeah, it just rained all night last night. Are you worried about flooding at all? Not on Combine Plateau. It just, it's like a hat. It just, it just uh, runs off. You don't get flooding on Combine. You get um, erosion, um, but with it so dry, uh, some of the ground's opened up, it's cracked. I think most of it'll just go straight into the ground. Mm. And is it, is it much needed out where you are? Oh, definitely, 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 yeah. Everyone's been buying fodder. Short term, this will make a, a, a big impact for a lot of people. They won't have to buy fodder and we'll get a, um, some grass growing. So that'll be very good. Um, you know, if we don't get follow-up rain, there'll still be a lot of problems. But, yeah, hopefully this is the, the end of the drought. Um, a lot of people have been, you know, very concerned, anxious about the next few months and this rain. Or There'll be a lot of happy people on Combine this morning, I can tell you. That's uh, Comboyne farmer Robert, uh, Peter Roberts talking to Charles Rushworth. So what does it mean for firefighting efforts around the Willy Willy Road fire and also Hathead, the Hathead region? Tina Quinn asked Inspector Chris Wilson, the Deputy Incident Controller for Kempsey's Rural Fire Service uh, on the Mid-North Coast, just that. It's certainly going to give some relief to local landowners, but also all the fire agencies and everyone that's been involved in this incident. Um, very, very welcome news. So how many millimetres have you had overnight? Uh, yeah, we've had um, approximately 20 to 50 mil uh, across the district. Uh, so 20 mil being more towards the west and the coast has had a little bit more. So we'll see what happens at the moment. There's still potential for a little bit more to fall and, and we'll see how we go um, over the coming hours. And what has that meant for the areas uh, around Willy Willy Road and over in Hathead, which have been burning the last 10 days? 
Yeah, uh, look, we'll find out more. We'll do a what's called a flu run um, in the morning with one of our helicopters once this weather's passed, which is thermal imaging. Um, and that will enable us to get a better idea of exactly where we stand. But initial reports from ground crews is that it's certainly taken this thing out of the fire and allowing us to, to get in and really consolidate all of our uh, containment options. So. Right now, looking at it, uh, it's very, very positive news. Fantastic. And also, going into next week, obviously, we've got to return to quite hot temperatures. But what will this mean in terms of the moisture that will already be in the ground because of these fires? Well, is that also good news? Uh, look, it's, um, we, we can see across Monday and Tuesday we're going to return to those 30-degree temperatures. Um, and, and I suppose a, a lot of um, our, our preparation for that will depend on what we find tomorrow when we do do the flu run. Uh, whilst the, the rain has been welcome, um, I, I will also stress that there was very, very dry ground conditions um, and, and this will certainly give us a break uh, for a little while but unless there's follow-up rain, uh, we, we're going to be back facing um, similar conditions in coming weeks. Right, so this might aid somewhat next week when we return to those really hot conditions, but the weeks following, we will need more rainfall. Yeah, that's correct. And and that's what we're looking for now to see uh, whether we're going to get any in the near future or or is it a case of give all our, quite frankly, our amazing volunteers and and, and the other agencies that helped us give give everyone a bit of a break in this part of the world. Uh, But also noting that places like Glen Innes, Inverell, they haven't had the same welcome news and they're certainly very active. So some of the resources we were going to use will get redirected towards those areas. Chris Wilson is the Deputy Incident Controller for Kempsey's Rural Fire Service on the Mid-North Coast and um, the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries and Local Land Services. Just reminding everyone they've activated the Agricultural Animal Services Functional Area in Kempsey. That's to support bushfire-affected farmers and land managers. You're encouraged to report damage, including stock and fodder losses, damage to crops, pastures, fencing and other farm infrastructure through the Natural Disaster Damage Survey and uh, fire-affected landholders can call the hotline on 1800 814 647 1800 814 647 to request animal assessment and welfare assistance. So just because the fires may have gone out or they're heading that way doesn't mean that uh, the animals aren't going to need more help and you're going to need more help with with, uh, fencing and uh, other issues as well, maybe fodder too. So... uh, uh, you can call the hotline, one eight hundred eight one four six four seven, and also report all the damage too. You're listening to The Country Hour. Shortly we'll get uh, the uh, good oil on that rainfall and where it fell and how useful it would be from the Bureau. But before we do uh, anything else, let's get some news headlines from Adam Storey. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Michael. Uh, it's all a bit uh, down and dark uh, today, <laughs> <clears throat> unfortunately. Um, the Israeli army has uh, made an incursion into the Gaza Strip with uh, tanks and ground troops in what's being uh, seen as preparation for a full ground offensive. Uh, they moved about two or three kilometres inside Gaza with bulldozers, uh, with uh, tanks and some infantry. Now, the suggestions that, you know, what won't be happening is a, a massive mobilisation of tens of thousands going over the border at one time. They say it'll just be like kilometre by kilometre clearing out. Uh, 
clearing out areas. Um, the calls have gone for a ceasefire. Uh, Cabinet Minister Tony Burke has come out today uh, joining calls for the ceasefire and the warning the region is moments away from what he says is an horrific impact. Uh, he said civilians are bearing the brunt of Israel's siege of Gaza instead of members of the terrorist group Hamas. Uh, back home, the police are hoping to recover a body this afternoon that's been found uh, in the ocean below a park in Sydney's eastern suburbs. Um, these are the investigators um, who are looking for uh, the eastern suburbs man. Paul Tayson, uh, who was wanted in relation to the murder of Lily James, whose body was found at St Andrew's Cathedral School in the CBD uh, overnight yesterday. Uh, meanwhile, rescue crews have found aircraft debris during a search for a missing helicopter off Port Stephens, north of Newcastle. A 54-year-old man and his dog took off from Cessnock Airport uh, just before nine yesterday morning, but uh, radar contact was lost 20 minutes later over Port Stephens. In the US, uh, police have surrounded a home as they search for uh, the man authorities say killed 18 people and wounded 13 others in a mass shooting at a bowling alley and a bar in the US state of Maine. The man's been identified as 40-year-old Robert Card. He's a uh, Army, US Army reservist uh, and hundreds of law enforcement apparently surrounding this house at the moment. And on a lighter note, there's a f film uh, production getting underway on the Gold Coast, um, which is a film based on uh, Paul Kelly's How to Make Gravy. Oh, right, OK. Which is a bit of a sad tale about yeah, a guy yeah. in prison who uh, <laughs> can't right. get home for Christmas. And can't get trying to get everyone to, else yeah. to make the gravy and give yeah. him a few tips. Yeah, his, give him a recipe. Tell his brother to keep his hands off his girlfriend. <laughs> That's right. You know the song well. Oh, right. <laughs> it gets you, played on ABC Radio ten times a day right. over Christmas. It certainly is. Yeah. It gets a, it gets yeah. a good run. It gets in a good fact, run. It, it ex yeah. won't be long now. We'll be hearing no, it again No, I, I was going to say, in a matter of weeks, I As imagine. well as Tim Minchin, too. Ah, uh, yes. White yes. wine in the sun. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on a lighter note, too, as well, uh, you better hurry up uh, downstairs to the kitchen. Oh, it's done. Yeah, I know. But are mm. they? I was going to say there should be some cake left over. No. There's plenty. Of, it's all gone. All gone. Dear all me, gone. Because Helen Zaremus has. Yes. Has, she's, she's left the ABC after 18 years. After 18 years yes. Today, so we won't be doing any more banter with Helen on the country hour. Much to the chagrin of our listeners. Oh, hang on, do you two banter while I'm not here? <laughs> well, we have been known to. Oh, mm, that's okay. right. Yeah, but I mean, but uh, you know, some people have a, a soft spot for you too, Adam. So that's okay. Yeah, some. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you be are a bit of an old grouch. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'll make no apologies for that. <laughs> <laughs> 33 years. <laughs> 33 years, that's 33 right. Years well, there you me. go. So, yeah, yeah so yeah. you've beaten her record of 18. Yeah, well, I started, yeah. I was child labour. <laughs> I was started. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you used to get paid in food. Yeah, exactly. Food and shelter. Food and shelter. Read this, shelter. Here, read this on the wireless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks for that, Adam. Sure, you did. Yeah, there were cakes there before not long ago, so they're all gone now. I'll have another look, but there was no cake when I okay. turned up. Oh. Yeah. My job was very busy preparing for this. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have that meeting. Yeah, yeah, one day. Yeah, Adam's story there with the news headlines. It's uh, 24 minutes to one here on the country. Hour. Let's find out about the rain. Gabriel Woodhouse at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. 
So more rain than expected, really, in some of those parts. We were sort of hearing from the Bureau yesterday 5 or 10 mils. Some people in those fire-affected areas got 30. Some in uh, around Comboin got over 100 millimetres. So pretty welcome, though. Yeah, welcome rain. So right along uh, the mid-north coast and into the northern rivers, we've seen widespread falls of uh, at least 30 millimetres. There's a few pockets that have seen a little bit more rainfall. So around Comboin and up near uh, Coffs Harbour and Sawtell, we've seen in excess of 100 millimetres in the 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning. But um, that rainfall now has mostly contracted up to the northern rivers. And since 9am, we've seen uh, some falls of around 22 millimetres at Woolai. But uh, we're still seeing a couple of showers uh, streaming into parts of the Hunter, Sydney and Illawarra. So um, for the mid-north coast, we're still expecting a few more showers today and tomorrow. But uh, this rainfall is going to be tapering off um, as we see the trough that's causing it um, and the upper level system that's uh, helped enhance some of those rainfall totals move offshore. Right. So it's basically moved off now. There's not much left. Just a few dribs and drabs. There's, there's dribs and drabs through through the Hunter and down towards the Illawarra, but up through the northern rivers um, and into the eastern parts of the northern tablelands, we're still seeing some reasonable rainfall falling, um, and that should start to ease off through the day today, and um, just a you know a couple of showers expected tomorrow. Right. Okay. Okay. So, uh, and but I gather around the fire areas, are they pretty happy? Twenty to thirty millimetres. So, uh, you know, a lot of those fires certainly help to contain them. Maybe put some of the fires out. So that's some good news there. But uh, uh, it's going to remain dry for the next few days, is it? Or there, is there any more rain on the way in the forecast? Look, for the rest of the forecast period, there's not a huge amount of rain um, on the card. So um, once we see these showers taper off on the weekend, uh, looking at fairly dry conditions, we might see a little weak cold front brush the south on Saturday, but uh, it looks as though we'll see another cold front move through during Monday and Tuesday. So at this stage, it looks as though we'll see some pretty hot conditions develop and again, some fairly windy conditions with this system. So that is going to elevate some of the fire dangers, particularly about the ranges and the western slopes on Monday, um, which will contract towards the northern inland on on Tuesday so one thing to be wary of but in in the longer term the the next bit of rainfall might not be until later next week Um, there's still some fairly significant uncertainty in in the forecast at the moment around uh, whether we'll see another front come through at the end of next week or whether we'll start to see some showers and storms develop to the east of of a trough that may linger over the um, inland of New South Wales so not much, but uh, second half of next week is where we're keeping our eyes on for, for some more rainfall. Okay, and we're getting some reports. Uh, Mix texted in saying they've got 20 millimetres near Manila, which they were pretty happy about there. Uh, and uh, Bernie at Binaway's texted in saying they've got f- 24 millimetres at Binaway, which saved his bacon, but they only had about 5 millimetres forecast, so quite a bit more than uh, they were expecting. What about the inland? Did they get any rain for the inland? Look, at what we've seen in terms of some of the rainfall, um, there's been some falls around uh, parts of the northwest slopes and, and plains. So rainfall totals there have been a little bit lighter of the order of, you know, 5 to, to 20 millimetres. A few places have picked up around uh, 25 or even 30 millimetres. But for the most part, uh, across the western parts of New South Wales, um, it has been quite dry and um, some of those uh, rainfall um, did fall with some storms and we did see a little bit of hail as, round, uh, as well around uh, with those storms yesterday. Okay, so, uh, and... Uh dry for a few days but then possibility maybe some some rain coming what at the end of the week 
Yeah, so at the moment it seems as though maybe next Friday, but as, as we know, that's you know a week away. So some of the models can change quite drastically between now and then. Um, it seems as though by that point we might have a little bit more moisture feeding onto the eastern parts of New South Wales, so that may lead to some showers and storms. But uh, before we get to there, it does look as though it's going to be quite warm and quite dry and windy as well on Monday and Tuesday. So um, elevated fire danger is a gain of, of concern um, on Monday and Tuesday. Okay, Gabrielle, thanks for that. My pleasure. It's coming up to 20 minutes to one on the New South Wales Country Hour. New South Wales Farmers has uh, thrown its support behind an unprecedented national campaign against anti-farming policies, they say. Liverpool Plains farmer and New South Wales Farmers President Xavier Martin says the Australian agriculture industry was united in its stand against ALP policies which threatened to slash billions from farm production by taking the water, the land and the workers that farmers need to grow food. Xavier Martin says the uh, Keep Farmers Farming campaign will focus on key issues such as water buybacks in the Murray-Darling Basin, worker shortages on farms and in the food supply chain, and red and green tape restrictions on agriculture and also problems with competition policy. Obviously farmers have been on the receiving end of some pretty poor decisions from this this government, this Albanese government, and, uh, you know, the cumulative... uh, count on water buybacks uh, proposals and uh, scrapping the ag visa and you know covering the countryside whole valleys in some cases with glass and all the hilltops with fans and each of these decisions on their own makes it harder to be a farmer uh, but the cumulative effect is really damaging to the community and a lot of the rural landscape. But are they really taking away the water and things? I mean, is it fair to say that? I mean it's, it's they're offering to buy from willing sellers. Oh, look, it's just crazy what's happened already, Michael. Uh, you know, once you take water out of the productive pool and it's owned by the taxpayer, it doesn't come back. It just gets it just gets pushed down mainly the two major rivers in the south, the Murray and the Murrumbidgee, killing those rivers and those localities, like just uh, damaging the death of the vegetation on those streams is just extraordinary. So to think that the concept of getting the the sledgehammer out and and parking another 450 gigs in public water is going to do anything other than damage those communities, the socio-economic fabric of inland uh, New South Wales, it, it, it will damage it dramatically. And so we'll continue to be talking to the relevant ministers, to the Albanese government, to, to make sure they do not embark on these sorts of uh, problem decisions. The other thing about the worker shortage and um, ag visas, I mean, they've, uh, they've, they've changed the ag visa, yes, but, I mean, uh, isn't it a case that there's a worker shortage for everyone, not just farmers, and is, isn't it the case that uh, all employers are suffering in terms of trying to get uh, uh, workers now? Oh, look, it doesn't matter whether it's in an orchard or a cannery or an abattoir or, or on farm. There's a whole range of, uh, of shortages, and the problem is that all of them, mean food and clothing is not arriving at the table in the home uh, at at the price that the consumer wants. What's left will get dearer, and that's what the Australian citizen does not want at this point. But isn't it the case that, I mean, you you know, they can't get childcare workers in the city, they can't get bus drivers, you know, uh, they can't get police officers or nurses. I mean, it's not just ag workers. Yeah, look, uh, I appreciate that it's a cross-sectoral matter but there's nothing more fundamental or important than food and clothing and that's the essential workers that we need Uh, and right now these decisions that have been made in Canberra are literally taking food off everyone's table. 
Yeah, but there's a social license question, though. There's some, uh, you know, the labour hire companies, uh, quite a few of them did the wrong thing. There was uh, claims of uh, exploitation and, uh, you know, maybe that's just the community sort of saying, you know, that's enough is enough. Look, I I have heard of some minor uh, matters that absolutely have to be dealt with, but uh, I reject the concept that uh, it's widespread. Men and women go about their business in this nation, in Australia, uh, you know, they put their boots on and get out the door and get the job done. No one's conscripted. Everyone's a volunteer, whether they're in farming or any value-add business. And we're getting on with the job. And we're calling on every Australian who values that Australian workers' production, that want their produce, to get behind this Keeping Farmers Farming campaign. Uh, we're hoping they'll get on the website and sign the letter, open letter to the Prime Minister and, and say, Prime Minister, keep your promises. I mean, all of us are waiting for this $275 discount in our electricity and we're just not getting these promises delivered. The other issue about uh, competition policy, so what is that, uh, is that designed to talk about the, the supermarkets and uh, farmers not getting a fair price there because of uh, Coles and Woolies? Oh, look, there's a whole range of dysfunction between the, the farm gate and the, and the household table that's getting absolutely gouged by a whole lot of middlemen, often the global corporates, the usual suspects. And, uh, you know, it's just a tragedy that, um, you know... But what, did, what is government supposed to do about that? Oh, well, they're supposed to apply the rules and get the inquiries in place that shine the light on this behaviour. Uh, so that's the, like the ACCC? Well, they've got a whole lot of levers at their disposal, whether it's the competition minister, Andrew Lee, or the treasurer, Jim Chalmers, or the prime minister. They can take a whole range of steps to to influence the agenda, and they're not. But we've got in, we've had inquiries. We've had uh, um, inquiries from ACCC looking at the dairy industry, looking at the meat processing industry, whole range of things. And Michael, there has been inquiries, and then the output of the, in those reports is somehow parked under a curtain in the corner somewhere and left to gather dust instead of being implemented. Isn't it the case, I mean, 51% of farmers in your survey saying that uh, they're not happy with the direction of the Albanese government, but uh, we know that, you know, doing the polling, that most farmers vote for the National Party, so it's not really a surprise, is it? Oh, look, I'm not uh, reading that into the data. What I'm reading is that there's been a whole lot of pretty poor decisions that when you add them all up, are taking a sledgehammer to production agriculture across this nation. And we've, and we've got to stand up for ag, and that's what Keeping Farmers Farming, that campaign, is all about. Xavier Martin there talking about the Keeping Farmers Farming campaign. Now, the NFF has opposed Labor's moves on the live sheep export ban, industrial relations changes relating to labour hire, the voluntary water buybacks under the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, transmission lines for ran, ran, renewables through farmland, and also negotiations uh, by, with, with Australia's trade deal with the EU. But the Agriculture Minister... Uh, Murray Watt has hit back at uh, the criticism implicit in the campaign, saying the ALP has acted quickly in regards to disaster relief for people in rural and regional areas. Also, has uh, they've spent $3 billion extra funding on the agriculture sector than the previous government, and they've helped to restore billions of dollars of trade with China. It's uh, 13 minutes to one. 
Hello, I'm Sally Sara. Join me for The World Today. Hostage negotiations. What role is the Gulf state of Qatar playing in talks to secure the release of captives in Gaza? Dozens of homes destroyed as bushfires continue to burn in regional Queensland. And the unstoppable rise of artificial intelligence. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak announces the world's first AI safety institute. Is Australia doing enough? Those stories coming up on The World Today. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Farmers across the Hunter and Liverpool Plains are concerned oil and gas company Santos is a step closer to building its controversial Hunter gas pipeline project after a surprise land purchase. It's been revealed that the interstate directors of a private company negotiating land access for the project have recently bought a property on the route and signed a deal with Santos. Rosebrook farmer Michael Fetch told Amelia Bernasconi how he'll be impacted by the pipeline and how he heard about the purchase. I guess our major worry is uh, the, the, the safety aspect. You know, this, this pipeline, if it, if it goes through, uh, will be probably 60, 70 metres from our house. Um, and that's a real problem for me, considering that this thing will be buried only 700 mil under the ground and it's a high pressure gas pipeline so there's the safety aspects there's the environmental aspects where it crosses the river in our close vicinity twice Um, but in this region it crosses the Hunter River six times so to me that just doesn't make any sense running up through floodplains and um, so that's a that that's a danger a red flag for me as well Um, and I guess another big thing is that we're faced with a private company in Santos uh, coming onto our land. This isn't a government project. This is a private, a private project for um, private profits coming onto our land that we own and telling us what we can then do on that land once the pipeline's here. Um, not to mention uh, the decrease in value of our property. You know, we work hard to 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 purchase a place like this and. Uh, we're now faced with up, up to 30% decrease in value of the property. Let's look at uh, a detail that's come to light recently in this purchase of a property on the Liverpool Plains by a shell company of the negotiating company engaged by Santos. Do I have that right? Yeah, you do. Mm. Um, yeah, how did that come to light? Uh, well, it came to light with... Um, some local people up there driving down the road and seeing some uh, survey pegs near a boundary and on those survey pegs were written hunter gas so obviously uh, because the authority to survey that was granted by the government uh, it's it hasn't been it hasn't been implemented on any properties on the route that we on the entire route so uh, we knew that they didn't have an authority to survey anywhere, so obviously that we started to look a little bit closer then, and and that's when we found out that information. We are hearing about forecast gas shortages from Australia's energy market operator. The pipeline, the point of the pipeline, of course, is to move gas from the Narrabri Gas Project, which has its ticks and balances across the state. Um, yeah, do you do, do you worry that you're holding up what could be a 
Look, the fact of the matter is <clears throat> the use of gas has been declining since 2014. The figures are there. They're well documented. They're, they're, not, they're not my figures that I've made up or um, uh, uh, Lock the Gate haven't made them up or anything like that. They're government figures. So there's a, there's a, a rapid decline in the use of gas. So um, we are faced with a project, a, a pipeline that's going to be in the ground and in 10 years' time, uh, really, it's 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 going to be a stranded asset. Really, you know, it's just going to be something that's 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 not we're not getting full value out of as a state. So that's the problem that I have with it. Rosebrook farmer Michael Vetch speaking there to Amelia Bernasconi. Now, in a statement to the ABC, a Santos spokesperson said the company continues to work constructively with all landholders towards agreements for both survey and long-term rights of way for pipeline construction and operation. They went on to say that Santos has more than 100 land access agreements in place that cover surveys for more than half of the pipeline route. It's uh, coming up to seven minutes to one here on The Country Hour. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Before we head to market, uh, cattle are not expected to return to the Northern Rivers Livestock Exchange and Casino until early next year. Richmond Valley Council is proceeding with a tender process to find someone to lease the facility using commercial real estate agency JLL. Council's decision comes despite a vote of more than 400 people at a community meeting calling on council to rescind the motion to lease NRLX and instead to start mediation with the Casino Auctioneers Association as quickly as possible. Cattle producer Neil Schneider is part of a group of concerned locals pushing for the yards to reopen and he told Kim Honan that they're disappointed and they want the New South Wales Ombudsman to intervene. We had had hope and the community supported in, as part of their motion a number of things. One was that, that, that they moved to immediately opening the NLRX on a uh, short-term lease to the agents under the old leasing contract so that the community didn't suffer in the short term while a uh, sound long-term lease was negotiated. So that was particularly disappointing. They did offer a short-term lease to, to the agents, but it was disingenuous. It wasn't under the old lease agreement, uh, but under a new lease agreement with conditions and uh, a very, very short term. Well, Neil, with this tender process going ahead, it will mean that the new lessee won't take control until early next year, according to council. So, you know, we haven't even reached the end of October yet. So there's at least a couple of months there where sales won't be proceeding through the sale yards in casino. Yes, and we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars that the casino community is missing out on and um, and that's regrettable and, and should never have occurred. Uh, so uh, you can see why the community is, um, well, annoyed to some outraged at how the community has been treated in this regard. You're part of a group of concerned locals who have lodged a complaint with the New South Wales Ombudsman about Richmond Valley Council's handling of NRLX. Um, can you give me the details of what that complaint is comprised of? 
Uh, well, there's a number of complaints in there with regards to the uh, lack of transparency, the lack of community consultation, the folding of uh, an advisory group, poor economic management uh, and poor animal husbandry practices that have occurred at the NLRX under the supervision of the uh, of the managers and the managers were the Richmond Valley Council and the buck basically stops with them. We were hoping that the Ombudsman would uh, delay any decision until there's a full investigation of the of the long-term consequences of a, of a long-term lease and they're talking up to 30 years on the casino community until there's a thorough investigation. Beef producer Neil Schneider now in a press release. Uh, Vaughan McDonald said, we want to continue this journey by partnering with a lessee who's well-equipped to take the NRLX to the next level and develop this facility in a way that benefits the community. Tenders close on November the 30th. It's coming up to seven minutes to one here on the Country Hour. Well, uh, still with beef and beef producers with Australia's largest meat cooperative enjoyed record prices last year, but it resulted in a massive hit to the business. The casino food cooperative reported an $11 million loss to its members at an AGM yesterday, up from a $7 million loss last year. CEO Simon Stahl told Kim Honan it's not a great result. Uh, look, yeah, it's, it's the highest loss in my time here. I've been here about 12 years, so yeah, it is a substantial loss for us. So record cattle prices last year, well, at least until December when they when they peaked. Um, was that the contributing factor to the massive loss? Yeah, it was, um, and, and that was all brought about by the lack of supply of cattle, um, you know, with the restocking that's happened over the last couple of years. And that combined with our, our losing uh a lot of cattle that we were processing for China back in May 2020, uh, that hangover continued. So those combination of events uh, and, and supply chain costs uh, going up in the last 12 months, and I think everyone's seen that with inflationary pressure, but, but the major one was the cattle supply. So what impact uh, losing China had on that result? Well, when we, when we lost access to China, it was actually at the start of the restocking process, so... Uh, when we lost a thousand cattle head, we just didn't have cattle that we could find to replace them, uh, and that has continued for the last couple of years. We've this the plant's been operating at um, well below capacity, you know, even uh, at times as low as thirty percent of capacity. And we've held on to our staff to make sure that when obviously the the conditions or the, the um, cycle turned, we were uh, ready to take advantage of it. So. A uh, combination of those events, and um, and it was a significant dent, and it was the longest um, transition from, I guess, uh, a strong supply of cattle to restocking that I've seen, um, but it certainly has changed uh, in the last uh, six months. Let's go to markets now. <laughs> Griffith Sheep and Lambs. Good afternoon. Slightly smaller yarding of 7,400 lambs and 3,000 sheep at Griffith today. Quality was plainer with not as much weight or finish as a week ago with a lot of the suckers showing signs of having slipped. Not all the usual buyers were here and the market did lack drive and direction with buyers tending to just poke along. The market was generally $5 to $10 softer. The heaviest lambs received the best demand, suckers in the 26 to 30 kilo range from 120 to a top of $155 to, heels, to still hold on to a 500 cent average costing. 
Heavy trades, 24 to 26 kilos, 114 to 135 dollars at a ballpark, 485 cents a kilo. Where the market lacked momentum was the general run of trades at 80 to 115 dollars, and there was a lot of dorpers in this range at an estimated 400 to 480 cents a kilo. Heavy shorn lambs, 128 to a top of 154, and the trades 90 to 125 dollars. Light lambs were cheaper and recently shorn suckers with frame to the paddock sold from 50 to $90. You're listening to The Country Hour. It's time for the news, one o'clock.